Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We all have a curiosity about who we are, where we've come from, and who our ancestors were. Are there dark secrets in our family past? Were our ancestors villains or heroes in history? Are the stories passed down by our parents and grandparents actually true? Well, genealogy can answer lots of these questions. But in the past, researching your family tree and your family history was extremely time-consuming and expensive. It often involved travelling to archives and libraries, sometimes even travelling to where your family lived. But today, it's really easy. And in this podcast, I'm going to explain how you can trace your family wherever you are right now. So if you're on the bus to work, you can just take out your phone and do it. If you're living thousands of miles away, it's all at your fingertips on the internet. Now, to help explain how you do this, I'll be using my own family as an example, revealing a few secrets I discovered along the way. Joining me on the show is my own cousin, Martin Costello. Martin's an expert genealogist who's traced my ancestors on the Costello side of my family extensively. Now, Martin will be sharing his expertise and explaining to you the key steps in how you're going to find out your family history. As he does this, I'll be using these tips and tracing back the DeWire side of my family, which is something I've never really done in detail before. I found out a few things along the way that are interesting, although not exactly glorious. Now, before we dive into this fascinating episode, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Finn DeWire, and this is the Irish History Podcast. Just to let you know that supporters of the show now have access to the third part of my Civil War series with Dr. Brian Hanley. That series is exclusively only available to supporters of the show. And this third episode in the series is a really interesting topic. Brian explains the most brutal phase of the Civil War that began in August 1922. And in our discussion, we looked at topics such as war crimes and massacres that were perpetrated in the conflict. Events which continued to haunt Irish society into the 21st century. 
It's a really great episode. I think it's the best one in the Civil War series so far. Now you can get this if you sign up at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast today. You can also get access to hours of bonus content in the supporters feed if you do that. So support the show and sign up at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. Sound is by Kate Dunley. Now to the episode. Martin began by explaining the first steps you need to take to trace your ancestors. So for me, the first step is always, if you're Irish, let's say, and, and if you know that you had ancestors in Ireland during 1901 or 1911, is to look up the census. So that's always the first place because you get a great indication of where they were, who they were, what age they were. Particularly the 1911 census will give you how many years they were married, how many children they've had, how many children are still living, what their occupation is, and also obviously where they're living. So those that record gives you a great base to start with. So if you're you know if you're trying to find maybe your grandfather or great grandfather or whatever it is or grandmother. You can find all their siblings. You can usually find maybe their parents as well. Sometimes they're not living with their family. They're actually living with relatives or they might even be off working at a relatively young age. But once you find that, then the, the, the trick then is, is to look for the civil records. Okay, so I'm sitting here at my computer and I'm about to start following Martin's directions. I'm opening up the website census.nationalarchives.ie and I'm about to put in Dwyer in Castlecomer for the 1911 census here. And what do I get back? What this has returned, yeah, I can see my family here. I found them in the census relatively easily. My grandfather, John Dwyer, was still living in the family home. I know that was my grandfather's name and I know roughly where they lived. He had eight siblings and he was also living with his father, Michael Dwyer. So now I have my great-grandfather. However, what's interesting is that my great-grandmother is not mentioned. Now, I know she was actually dead by 1911 and I'm going to come back to that. But because of this, my great-grandfather, Michael, didn't enter some of that really interesting information that you often find in the 1911 census. So he didn't say how long he was married and he didn't say the number of children he had. That would create a bit of an issue for me down the line, but you might have that same issue, so I will show you how to resolve that. But still, I have a starting point that Martin mentioned. I found my family in the 1911 census, and next now, you're going to hear Martin explain how you go deeper past this point of the census at the turn of the 20th century. This involves something called the civil records. Martin explains now what they are and where you can find them. So the civil records then are hosted by the Irish government on, on a very good website called irishgenealogy.ie. And when you're on that website, you click on the, the civil records section rather than the church records, which are quite limited on that website. But the civil records are basically births, marriages and deaths. They start in 1864 up to the present day, but they're only available for the past 100 years for births. So you can only look up births between 1864 to 1921, marriages up to 75 years ago, and deaths up to 50 years ago. So that can be hugely beneficial when also trying to trace certain lines forward. So if you're Look, if you've gone as far back as you can and you're trying to come back forward again on cousins' lines and stuff like that, having those available is, is a great, great benefit. 
Next, Martin explains how you use the census as a starting point for these civil records. So the basic way of, of, of going back is, so when you found your person in, say, the census, you find their date of birth, or hopefully you found the couple, so, you know, your grandparents or great-grandparents, you found their 1911 census, and you see they're married for X amount of years. So you go to the civil records, and be it, say, 1885, or thereabouts, I'd usually search a couple of years either side, and you look for their marriage cert in the civil records. And once you've found that, the, the great thing about the civil records is that it will give you, it'll always give you the parents, or, or at least the, the father's name of the, the married couple. So if you have a, a, a John marrying a Mary, whatever their surnames are, the at the right, very right-hand side of that civil record will be both parents' names. Often it will have that they're maybe deceased or that they're alive. It will also have their occupation and it will have the address of the couple act, actually at the time. Now, sometimes depending if it's maybe a, a third or a fourth son or a, a daughter, maybe a little bit older, you might find that they're actually working for somebody else and they're not actually living at home. So the address isn't always this necessarily their home address where they grew up. But then once you have that, then so you have the marriage record, you can then look up that couple's, you can look for that couple's children. So you can try and find all the different children they had, at, you know, when they were all born. Okay, so I'm going to do this. But as I mentioned earlier, I do have a bit of an issue. I had found my great grandfather, Michael Dwyer, in the census, but I immediately ran into a problem. My great grandmother, as I said, was dead and he hadn't mentioned how long they were married. So finding when that marriage certificate is obviously going to be difficult now. I wanted to find out a little bit more about to narrow this search down, and this is something you can do. So I went to the 1901 census, which is on the same website, and I found him, here he is, that's Michael Dwyer. But he's now, what's interestingly, is that my grandmother is also mentioned in this document. Her name is Bridget Dwyer. And she was alive in 1901. And actually the census, as an aside, gives you a really insight into life at the time. So Bridget Dwyer was 32 and had given birth to 11 children by 1901. She's only 32. She had seven children under the age of eight. That's just the kind of detail that you get. But what I'm trying to do is find out when Bridget Dwyer married my great-grandfather, Michael, because that's going to provide more information to move back another generation. That'll push us back towards the Great Hunger. Now, this marriage cert is somewhere in the civil records, but I need to narrow it down. And that 1901 census does give me some information to do that. So in 1901, for example, my great-grandmother, Bridget, was 32. Her eldest son, that's my grandfather, John, was already 14. So you'd have to think it's likely that they were married in and around the same time as he was born, the year 1887. So I'm off to the website irishgenealogy.ie and there I'm going to search for this marriage between Michael Dwyer and his wife Bridget. Okay, so I have it here. The marriage cert of a Michael Dwyer and a Bridget Keeley in 1887. Interestingly, my great-grandfather is listed as a victualler. That's basically a butcher. It's the same difference. But that's the family trade, so it's just reaffirming I have the right people. The marriage cert also lists their fathers. So my great, great grandfather is listed as a man called John Dwyer. He's also a victualler or a butcher. This all makes sense. 
There is one interesting thing in this, the date of the marriage. It's very interesting to me, it's February 1887. Now my grandfather John was 14 in 1901, meaning that he was also born in 1887. Those dates are very close together and could tell their own story. So I'm going back to the civil records, that's irishgenealogy.ie and what I'm going to try and find out is the exact date of my grandfather's birth to see if that tells me anything about why maybe my great-grandparents got married and it does. So I have found my grandfather's birth. I searched between 1886 and 1888 just to try and make sure I didn't miss him if there was a, a discrepancy in the records and I found him here and his date of birth is April 6th 1887. That's less than two months after his parents were married, which tells me either my grandfather was a miracle baby or more likely it was a shotgun wedding. This is an aside though, it's just an example of some of the small details you're going to be finding out about your family when you do this. But I wanna push back further into the past and see if I can find a marriage record for my great, great grandparents and see if I can find more about that previous generation. So the marriage record that I found there of my great-grandparents provided my great-great-grandfather's name, a man called John Dwyer. Now, I want to find out something about him. You'd have to assume he was probably born in the 1850s or the 1860s at a guess, and the civil records won't help me here. They only start in the 1860s. But Martin now explains how you can go beyond that date, back even earlier in Irish history. But there are also limitations to these records. You're going to hear Martin explain them, and then I'll pick up the story afterwards. And to go back before 1864, where really it's the, the church records we're looking for. So when you want to go beyond 1864, the only thing that would get you there is birth and marriage records. And so the, the marriage records, again, usually will have at least one parent listed. But sometimes, very frustratingly, it will only give just the surname of the, the 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 parent which you already know which is virtually useless and often it has nothing at all but in good parish records you will have a full list of both mother and father which is incredibly helpful the main issue with getting back to most parts of the east side of the country you can get back to 1820 relatively easy to get back to say 1800 in the West is very, very hard. Basically, from the 1770s, the parish, the Catholic Church were no longer under the penal laws and they were allowed to keep records again uh, before that. Well, they could keep records before that, but if they were caught with them, they were, they were going to be severely punished. So from the 1770s, the bishops actually instructed their parish priests to keep records, but very, very few did. And it wasn't really until in the west of the country, even the 1840s, 1850s, that they were actually starting to keep regular records. So it can be very frustrating depending on what part of the country you're in or even what parish you're, you're looking up. I find that cities in particular are bigger towns. The records go further back. So in Kilkenny City, for instance, where I do most of my research, if I'm looking at any city at all, we get records there back to the 17, late 1770s, early 1780s in certain places. A lot of the, the parish records then can be uncertain. You know, often the, the priest actually went out for a baptism. They didn't actually, the, 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 the child wasn't actually brought to the church to be baptized. So the, the priest would have actually gone out to the home to be baptized. And sometimes he might have done three or four, might have taken him a, 
a day or two to go out to a couple of different uh, children at a time and might have been a bit of a drink thrown his way and sometimes you find the the records are a little bit off you know that he might get the mother's surname wrong or even her her forename and usually the child's name is right thankfully but um you find that that sometimes all the rest of the record matches but there's just something off there and so that's usually an instance I find when you can back everything else up and you can find multiple other records to back it up. You know, this person existed, you know, this is the right time that you know they were born in 1842. You know, everything else matches. It's just, you know, maybe the mother's record is wrong. Okay, so I'm trying to find this man, my great great grandfather, John Dwyer, and I want to track him back, back into the 1850s and 1860s. I don't know when he was born. But I'm going to estimate that it must have been sometime, as I say, between say 1850 and 1865, something like that. So I'm going to start a search in the parish registers of Castlecomer to see if I can find them. Now, I've spent a lot of time in these registers and they can be really hard to use, really poor writing. Luckily, the one here in Castlecomer is easily to read. And I think I actually have him here really quickly. This is totally by accident. I actually came across it. So I found a John Dwyer who was born to a Michael Dwyer. That would be the right name. And his wife was Anne Mealy. The birth was on the 13th of April, 1859. It is possible, I guess, that this is another John Dwyer just with the same name. There were other Dwyers living in Castlecomer at the time. However, the fact that his father named here is Michael, that's a name that my family used over generations, does suggest I'm probably on the right track. Martin explains here that people in the 19th century were pretty strict about a naming convention, which would support the idea that if the same names pop up, you're probably on the right track. The families actually used a, a fairly kind of well-followed protocol for naming their children. So a lot of them w- would use this, this basic protocol. And it, it Sometimes very slightly, uh, depending on circumstances, like you might find a death of a, a, a parent or a grandparent of the child might, might change just slightly. But basically, the formula is that the first son born to a couple is named after the father's father. The, so his grandfather on his, on his dad's side. The, the next son is named after his mother's father. The next one is named after the father himself. And the next son is usually named after the father's eldest brother and then if that goes on you have a fifth son and often you have many more but the fifth son is usually named after the father's or the mother's father and then so on down through the brothers as i say sometimes uh, you might find that the first son might be named after the mother's father if he had passed away relatively recently to that child being born but it also works on the on the mother's side as well or on the daughters uh, so a daughter will be named after the mother's the first daughter will be named after the mother's mother the second daughter will be named after the father's mother and so on the third child would be named third daughter would be named after the mother herself and on you go and the same with uh, the mother's sisters and the father's sisters. So that kind of uh, naming protocol can be very handy when you're trying to figure out, is this the family I'm looking at or who might the parents of, you know, my couple be? So if the if the priest was fairly lax and you might find actually there's a graveyard in that parish and there's this record for this couple here and they have the right names. Sometimes with a lot of detective work, you can actually make it work, but sometimes it's it's going to be a supposition that these are the right people. So already I found a man 
who's my great, great, great grandfather. That's five or six generations, five. I wonder if I'd be able to push this back another generation. That'd be certainly into the great hunger, if not before. So I'm gonna go through the parish records past into the 1830s and 1840s and see if I can find the Dwyers back then. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, I've actually just cut out a load of recording and empty space. I spent a lot of time going through those parish records and I was getting nowhere. Luckily now, Martin has a tip for you if you find yourself in the same place. There is two other options in terms of searching those records, which is usually a bit better than the National Library of Ireland. You have to know the month. Uh, well, A, you have to know the parish. B, you have to know the month and, and and the year. And you can narrow it down a bit. And then you still have to look through pages of squiggly writing. There are two websites that have transcribed the records. So there's familysearch.org, which is the Mormon church has basically taken all those and they've tried to transcribe a lot of them and so they have a search feature which is free to do is is sign up for a, a membership on familysearch.org so that's the church of the latter-day saints in utah so i've set up an account on familysearch.org and this hasn't helped me either there are other michael dwyers that's the person i would be looking for born in other parts of county kilkenny but there's no real reason i can link them to my family i'm hoping you're having better luck at this stage than i am it looks like I'm hitting a brick wall. I am going to try one last thing, and that's to go back to Irish genealogy. That's the civil register of births, marriages, and deaths. So if I'm looking for the birth of that man, Michael Dwyer, before the great hunger, maybe I could find his death if he did survive. Maybe I could find that man's death in the aftermath of the great hunger, sometime maybe in the late 19th century. So let's just try that. Okay, so what I found here is interesting. I found in 1883, a man called Michael Dwyer died in Castlecomer. That could be the man I'm looking for six generations of my family back. The witness, crucially, at his death was a man called John Dwyer, and I do know he is related to me. Those two names, again, John and Michael, are names used over the generations in my family. So that does suggest I might be on the right track here. If that is the case, this man, Michael Dwyer, was born in 1803, 220 years ago. Now, the parish records in Castlecomer only start in 1818, so that would explain why I wasn't able to find him there. 
Now I'm not going to be able to go and you won't be able to go any further back than this unless you're very lucky. Martin did explain how you might be able to push it back into the 1770s or 1780s. I can't. So I've hit a bit of a, I suppose, a brick wall. What I've found is a man who might be related to me, Michael Dwyer, who was born in 1803. Having exhausted though this narrow search of births, deaths and records, what I want to do now is flesh out the picture of the people I know. Can I find out more about their lives, who they were? Martin explains to me some of the records online that you can use to find out more about your family, maybe where they were living, what they were doing. The, the main record that people uttered in the births, marriages and deaths, which you know are very perfunctory and they give you the start, middle and end, I suppose, of, of people's lives, but it gives you very little colour in between. The main record, I suppose, that people would think of, particularly for the middle of the 19th century, is, is Griffith's valuation. So you have basically every single plot of land in the country had a, a record for it which has the the person who's living on the land and then the immediate lesser which doesn't always mean that it's actually the the owner it might be somebody who's subletting it you know so let's say maybe the the duke of ormond owns land and he has a large tracts leased out to X, Y, or Z, it could be that person who's listed on the Griffiths valuation. But either way, I suppose the, the person by and large most of us are looking for is the small person and you get to see where that person lived. You can usually track it down. There's there are accompanying maps. Now the maps that are online are not always don't always particularly correlate exactly with the the final maps. So the maps that are online are the initial maps that were created for Griffith's valuation, but there was often there was many revisions made and they're all available in the valuations office up in Dublin. So if anyone was really serious and wants to know exactly where their ancestors lived, I would definitely be going to the valuations office. And also available in the valuations office is I'm fairly sure they're called revision books, where you can actually track that piece of land over decades and it literally you can see who owned that piece of land all the way up to 1970s and even up to the 2000s in, in certain cases. So that's that's hugely beneficial. Okay, so I'm opening up Griffith's valuations here and I've typed in Dwyer, Castlecomer, and then I've typed in the Kenny and all the other forms and identifiers that I would need to do. And for some reason, nothing is coming up. I'm going to search again in Dwyer in just County Kilkenny and see if I've made some mistake. This is a good tip to do, you know, if you're not finding what you're expecting through one search form, try maybe broaden out your search. Okay, I actually, yeah, no, I found something here. So I have found something really interesting, actually. Uh, there's a John and a Martin Dwyer who owned what was called a shambles in Bowden's Row in Castlecomer. Now, what's really interesting is that when I was in school, this is back in primary school over 30 years ago. I remember my teacher saying that she heard that my family used to own a butcher stall very near Bowden's Row. However, the names don't match up entirely. I said, you might remember, I was looking for a man called Michael Dwyer. And my cousin Martin had this warning. Some people just go, well, I'm putting in John Murphy and he's from Bonyaman in Kilkenny. And so a record pops up and it's John Murphy and it's Bon Yaman and they just say well that's my ancestor but you have to be a little bit more careful and particularly when using the likes of, of ancestry and stuff like that uh, ancestry throws thousands of hints at you which can be hugely beneficial and it's helped me a huge amount but I've seen people who have 
literally created trees with tens of thousands of people in it where they've just accepted every single hint that's thrown at them and the tree makes zero sense when you look at it mm. you know by and large people in ireland were relatively settled uh, they didn't move massive distances unless they were maybe the the son or daughter who definitely wasn't going to get anything couldn't have a marriage arranged then you often find they might emigrate but you're normally not going to have let's say a son born in Kilkenny whose father was from Donegal whose mother was from Antrim who's you know who and their parents were from Galway and Cork and you know like that kind of movement just doesn't exist I don't think okay so I need to be careful I think going forward just because I found a Martin and a John DeWire I can't assume they're related to my family but next I want to look at other sources Martin explained places I could look for other evidence about my family. Newspaper records are fabulous. There's the Irish Newspaper Archive. And so looking for local records, you know, you might find there's a, a murder case or, you know, whatever it is involved in your family. Usually they, they won't appear much in, in those records unless it's something, something fairly serious. But you get things later like dog licenses, small petty crimes around likes to find my past. Uh, Ancestry has Ancestry Find My Past. All these websites have huge amount of records where, and, and thankfully they're all searchable, uh, where you can pop in the, your ancestors' details and, and see. So I went into newspaper archives. I use these a lot researching different podcasts, and I searched for the various wires that I'd found on those Griffiths valuations. That's Martin and John back around the time of the Great Hunger, and I did actually find something. It's not exactly a glorious family history, but it suggests that the Martin de Wire might well have been related to me. So in October 1846, when the Great Hunger is really starting to ravage the population, a woman called Margaret Cahill was brought before the courts in Kilkenny for stealing five lambs. Now, Martin de Wire, a butcher in Castlecomer, is mentioned in the reports of the case. He went from Castlecomer into Kilkenny to testify in the trial that Margaret Cahill had tried to sell him the stolen lambs. Not exactly glorious history from the Great Hunger. He also claimed that she tried to sell him to an unnamed brother. Now, I wonder could that unnamed brother be my direct ancestor, maybe that man Michael Dwyer. But unless I could find more evidence, but unless I could find more hard evidence of births or deaths, or marriages, I can't really make these links. And I think, like Martin mentioned, it is worth being really careful. This stuff is interesting to speculate about, but I can't make that connection. Now, in the case of this man, Martin Dwyer, I would have to think he is related to me because not only is he living close to where I know that my family may have been living, but also the fact that he's a butcher in the town. On a more sound footing, when I was searching through newspaper archives for the 20th century, I came across an obituary for my great-grandfather, that's Michael Dwyer. He died in 1935. Now, the obituary had the usual platitudes about what a great man he was, but it also fleshed out some nice details that you just wouldn't know maybe about your ancestors. So, for example, Michael Dwyer's obituary mentioned the fact that he had been a cricket player in his youth, which is something that had a strong following in Kilkenny in the 19th century when he would have been a young man, but then fell out of popularity and use as Gaelic games gained traction in the 20th century and late 19th century. Martin also talked about sources such as petty crimes. Now, I think we all want to find out maybe one of our ancestors was involved in some sensational court case. 
So I wanted to find out, maybe have I, had I any skeletons in the closet, I guess. That man, Martin Dwyer, who testified in that case during the Great Hunger, does pop up in a few court cases. Well, sorry, I should say a man called Martin Dwyer from Castlecomer does pop up. But in one case in 1853, I think it's probably the same guy. He's convicted of using false weights. Now, I can't be certain it's the same person, but... You'd have to imagine if you're being convicted of using false weights, that basically means you've manipulated a weighing scales. You'd have to think he's selling something in the town, which would lend credence to the idea that it might be the butcher obviously selling meat. Again, I will say word of warning. This stuff is really interesting to flesh out a picture, but I think you can probably sense the connections, particularly the further back you go, are more difficult to prove. I can't really with great certainty say that that man is related to me. All the evidence I think would suggest he is, but there's nothing conclusive. Interestingly, in the core cases, I also found a Michael Dwyer. Again, I can't be 100% certain that he's related to me, but he was brought to court for being drunk and disorderly in a street in Castlecomer in 1880. That would have been my grandfather. He would have been 21 at the time, so that does kind of, I suppose, fit with that age profile. So everything we talked about today, though, involves knowing something about your family history. If you don't know who your grandparents were in Ireland around the turn of the 20th century, these searches become more complex. And obviously, in the case of people who, for example, are adopted, they won't know who their grandparents were at all. Now, Martin is an expert in the use of DNA in terms of identifying family history. And I asked him about this. DNA is massively useful particularly, I suppose, uh, for people who don't know their family history, who are quite unsure, particularly people that are adopted and are often you find people who think they know everything about their family and they do a DNA test and all of a sudden maybe their father or their grandfather or their mother or whatever it is, their grandmother, is not actually their grandmother. Now, over the course of the episode, I obviously found out things about my family that might be, I suppose... Not the way you imagined them acting or the way you would like them to have acted in the past, but that's the reality of history. It's worth bearing in mind, though, that DNA searches can reveal more distressing parts of the past. Martin now has a word of warning. You know, if you take a DNA test, you could find out things that, you know, your family and maybe more immediate members of your family are not actually related to you for one reason or another. And that can be distressing. So I think it, do it is important to have this word of warning. The DNA does not lie, you know, if you're, if you're related, you're related, and, and, and that's it. People's lives have been turned upside down by DNA testing. You know, you find out that your dad is not your dad or stuff like that. It, it can be, it can be life-changing, life-altering, and it's definite. You need to go in with your eyes wide open and, and to be prepared. You know, it can be a certain amount of trepidation, you know, that... Right. Is, uh, is everything I've believed up to now going to change? Am I not who I think I am? But I suppose it depends on your point of view. If, if, you, if I suppose everyone's identity is very much, you know, brought back to their family. But, you know, some people, I suppose, embrace that difference, whereas others, you know, their world can fall apart when, when, when it's not what they expect. So I suppose it's, it's definitely you really, really have to be eyes, eyes wide open. But like I say, in cases like, you know, your your adoptions and stuff like that, you know, you can like I've managed to help a, a lady find her family, of, you know, because I have a I have a fairly decent tree and 
um, have a relatively good knowledge of, of how the DNA works. So I've been able to um, to help people. Like there are there are some fabulous tools. Like uh, there's one particular one called What Are the Odds, which is a free tool online. Uh, it's a fabulous page where you can literally plug in your all your if you know how to use it right, you can plug in all your your DNA matches into it, and it'll basically show you where you should fit into that tree. If you know how they, if you know how they're related, you can construct a tree of how they're related. Put in there the amount of uh, what's called centimorgans, which shows you how related you are to a person. So you enter in the amount of centimorgans, and it can literally show you where where you fit into that tree. And so that would be useful for somebody who does a test and the the tree doesn't show what they expect. You can actually, and that's how how you can solve things like that but yeah it can definitely be life life altering i'd like to thank martin for his time i'll be back next week with something completely different when i'll be exploring a neolithic frontier with the archaeologist neil jackman until then sloan Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.